0: Greetings from New Life Church, Gehenna. Join us this week as Pastor Steve Benninger continues with the third installment of the series, James. (sighs) Well, we are going to uh, look into God's Word today, into the book of James. We're in uh, the third week of our series in James, and so if you have a, a Bible or a device that has the Bible on it, go to James chapter 1, that's where we're going to be, and uh, as you do, I want to just say a prayer for us that God will speak to us today, okay? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we would be adrift in this culture with no moorings were it not for the truth that you have given us in the Bible. Lord, uh, give me your grace to explain it well today. Lord, may your spirit take the words off the printed page and embed them in our hearts today. Speak to us, I pray in Christ's name, amen. amen. The woman gazed longingly at the luscious fruit and in her heart, a desire was awakened. I've, I've, I've got to have it, I've got to have it. The serpent's whisper in her ears caused her mouth to start watering with desire. Yes, the Lord had clearly forbidden she and her husband from eating the fruit hanging from this one tree. Yes, he had opened up to them all of the bounty of the the rest of the garden, but somehow that didn't matter much right now. She had to have this fruit from this tree. It looked so good. And the promise that it offered to not only fill up her belly, but to make her like God, were just too much. Her husband, standing silently by, did nothing to dissuade her, protect her, or counter the claims of the evil serpent. And so, overcome by desire, she reached for it, she plucked it, she ate. Then she gave it to the man, and he ate as well. And in an instant, Their eyes were opened, and something deep inside of them died, and for the first time they felt a new feeling, shame. And their offspring, all of humanity, would be deeply marked forever by that one choice, that one moment. You know that our first parents were given a test that day in the Garden of Eden, and by disobeying God, they failed their test. The test, which was meant by the Lord for their good, to strengthen their devotion to Him and to show His glory, was instead co-opted by Satan and twisted into a temptation, luring them into disobedience and sin and separation and ultimately death. And we all know that temptation has been part of the human experience ever since that day, right? Enticements to sin abound in our world. And that tantalizing fruit comes to us now in a variety of forms in our day. New ones invented every day, I think. All of them promise wonderful pleasures if we'll just yield, if we'll just eat. Truth is that the desires of fallen human beings are easily inflamed. And so trials meant by God to strengthen us can become temptations that the evil one uses to weaken us. And when we give in, we sin. As I said, this is week three of our study in, in the New Testament book of James, and today we come to this kind of heavy topic of temptation. And so if you haven't pulled the study guide out of your worship folder yet, go ahead and do that so you can track with me. I want you to listen to what James's half-brother, the Lord Jesus, Excuse me, to what the brother of the Lord Jesus, James, wrote about this topic. I want to read James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. And this is God's word. In this section, we see James, Pastor James, kind of turning a corner a bit from talking about trials and tribulations like we looked at last week to now warning about temptations. But what's interesting is that in the original language, it's the same word. And that's because James was aware that every trial is a potential temptation. Why don't you say that with me? Every trial is a potential temptation temptation. Think about the people he was writing to. They were suffering a severe trial at the hands of the wealthy upper class of their day. These folks were being mistreated at work. They were being oppressed. They were not being paid fair wage for their hard work. Some of them were being dragged into court on trumped-up charges. And God had allowed this condition into their lives as a test to strengthen and and to mature their faith, but James knew there was also potential for great sin and for reacting wrongly to the situation, blaming God for it. I think the key verse in this section is verse 16 where he says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Don't you think James is concerned about believers thinking wrongly about things, having wrong thoughts, inaccurate thinking, Certainly when we're presented with difficult situations in our lives, it's easy to fall into that. James wants to prevent that, and, and where it already exists, he wants to correct it, so that we will instead have God's true perspective on things, God's wisdom, and not just the wisdom of this world that'll fail us. And so James warns God's people against being deceived, and he specifically focuses on two things. Don't be deceived about temptation, the nature of temptation, and don't be deceived about God, the nature of God. And I think he knew, and you do as well, that when we're in the midst of enticing situations, tempting situations, we are prone to have wrong thoughts about God and wrong thoughts about temptation, especially after we've given in. And so James speaks to these two concerns. Let's look at the first one. Don't be deceived about the nature of temptation verses 13 through 15 and we should probably ask what is temptation and we know that temptation is enticement to sin right it's the being drawn towards sin when Adam and Eve were lured into eating the fruit they were being tempted now Adam and Eve were were God's image bearers, created in the very image and likeness of God, and so they possessed good and godly desires in their hearts. But then, on that day, when this test of love and loyalty and submission to God was presented to them, those desires turned dark. The deceiver came on the scene, and he saw the opportunity, and he seized it, and he cast doubt on the goodness of God, and he fanned into flames those desires dark desires. And so Adam and Eve entranced by this promise of experiencing new kinds of pleasure were overwhelmed by the enticement. They took the bait. They sinned. And so temptation occurs when we feel enticed, when we feel pulled or drawn towards sin. And Pastor James does not want God's people to be duped by the devil, to be tricked by temptation. And so he warns us here, don't be deceived. And he has several particular deceptions in mind. First he says, let no one say when he is tempted, God is tempting me. And so he's in essence saying, if you think that temptation comes from God, you are deceived. God is not like that. God is good, as we're going to see in a moment. God is not temptable himself, and he tempts no one. And then he says, if you think God is to blame when you give in to temptation, you're deceived. Someone might say, "Well, God put me in this situation. This, you know, he put this person in my life or this situation I'm in." And James would say, "Well, God's intent was for you to pass that test that he gave and for you to be strengthened by it. It was not his intent for you to fail it by giving in and sinning. God is not to blame." And then third, he's in essence saying, and you know what else? You are deceived if you think that anything other than you is responsible for your sin. And so let me say something to all of us today. Who is responsible for your choices? You are, right? I am responsible for my choices. And this has gotten lost in our culture, has it not? I mean, no one wants to take responsibility for the decisions that they make. And even if they do stand up and say, I take full responsibility, they really don't want the consequences of that choice that they made. Here's the truth. When I sin, I can't lay it at the feet of my parents or my genes or my upbringing or the way the kids treated me in elementary school. When you sin, James is saying, you're deceived if you seek to justify or rationalize it by saying, it's my boss, I had to do it, my boss is so overwhelming, so overbearing, or if you say, my spouse caused me to sin, or if you say, the devil made me do it. He's the one to blame. Yes, the serpent was crafty, and he still is. You know that, right? He still is. He's a liar and a tempter who will try to lure you into sin with just the right kind of bait, and he knows what kind of bait will work with you. And then when you do cave in and give in to sin, what does he do? He kicks you when you're down. He accuses you, and he says, What a sorry excuse for a Christian you are. Look at you. He's a tempter. He's an accuser. He's an adversary who hates God, and he hates God's people, and he wants to deceive and destroy and debilitate us. He's a thief who wants to steal God's glory and steal your joy. But when I sin, I cannot lay it at Satan's doorstep and blame him. James won't allow it. Neither will his brother. Notice what he said. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. That echoes what his brother taught in Mark 7 21, I'm talking about Jesus who said, For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and defile the man. You see, it's not out there. It's in here. Isn't that true? Now, sure, there are reasons, there are conditions, there are environmental factors, There are explanations for why we do what we do. There are things that come into our lives that prompt us to sin. But there are not any justifications for our sin. According to God's word, we are responsible. I am responsible. And so temptation is the enticement to sin. But I guess we should ask, what is sin? What is it? Well, the Bible defines sin as the transgression of God's law. Right? Crossing the lines that God, the boundaries that God has put in place for our good, by the way. Because He is good. Sin is defined as breaking God's commands. Well, what are God's commands? Well, in the Old Testament, they're summarized in what? The Ten Commandments, called the Decalogue. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Have no other gods before the one true God? Don't make any images of that God to bow down to and worship. Reverence his name. and Don't take it in vain. Honor your parents. Keep God's holy day sacred. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet what someone else has, but you don't. The Ten Commandments, but people are tempted to break those commands every day, right? And they do. They do. There is no truer statement than this in the Bible, for all have sinned. No descendant of Adam and Eve is exempt from that statement. We've all sinned. And for those who are kind of smug and thinking, well, my my moral batting average is actually pretty good, James is going to write this in chapter 2, verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it it's a unit you can't pick and choose you know what you're going to seek to obey and what you're going to ignore and then later he's going to write this in chapter 4 verse 17 anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins so people sin in two ways by doing what god says should not be done and by not doing what god says should be done you've heard of sins of omission and sins of commission right Now, we come to the New Testament, and we find our Lord Jesus distilling those ten commandments down into two. And people go, whew, glad of that. Only two. Yeah, I can keep those. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law hinges on those two commands. But you know what? People break those two commands every day as well. People love other things more than they love God. And people love themselves more than they love their neighbor. They sin. We sin. All have sinned. And and God, as you know, promises to judge all sin because he's holy. I mean, think about it. Only an unrighteous judge would shield his eyes and pretend to not see or look the other way or excuse it or let offenders off the hook. That would be an unrighteous judge. We would remove that kind of judge from the bench, right? James is going to remind us often in this letter that God is a good and impartial judge who must condemn guilty sinners so that he remains just and righteous and his glory is protected. So here, James says, don't be deceived about The nature of temptation. Don't think that enticement to sin comes into your life from God. Don't think it's God's fault when you cave in. And don't try to blame shift like Adam did. You remember when Adam was confronted for his sin? By the Lord, what did he say? (laughs) It's this woman that you gave me. That's why I did it. Nice. And then the woman was confronted. What did she say? Well, it's the serpent who beguiled me. And blame shifting has been woven into the fabric of our responses ever since. It's not my fault. (laughs) I had to do it. Don't be deceived. Sin comes from within. We are responsible. That's the truth. And we need to think rightly about this. James wants to help us do so. Well, that's kind of heavy, isn't it? I'm glad he didn't stop there. There's a second area he doesn't want us to be deceived about, and that's God, the nature of God. Let me read this part again. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Who does not change like shifting shadows? He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Now, as I said, we have our children in here with us today, and uh, we love our children. We're so grateful that they, uh, in the home, hopefully parents, you're teaching your children about Jesus and about the Lord and about the law and about the gospel. And as a church, we seek to come alongside you and support you in that effort. But what I think here is that James is giving truth that's so simple that probably even a four or five year old could get it. It's kind of like this. When I read through this, here's what I get sin is bad. God is good, sin leads to death, God gives life. I mean, isn't that what he's saying? Sin is bad. Say that with me. Sin is bad. God is good. Say that. God is good. And sin leads to death and God gives life. James wants us to know what God is like, even in the midst of our temptations. Oh, how tempting it is when we're facing sin stress or when we're being mistreated or when we're way down under pressure or when we find ourselves in a tempting situation or when life hasn't turned out like we thought that it would or should how tempting it is to sour on God and to think he's not good or he's good to other people but not to me or he used to be good I'm not feeling that anymore Or, maybe God's mad at me. He's making my circumstances so unpleasant. Or maybe thinking, you know, God's gifts aren't really enough, and He's not enough. What the world offers is really much better than what God is offering. By the way, I don't know if you've thought about it like this, did you know that many temptations are really just a twisting or a distorting of a gift from God? Think about food. How many of you like food? Is food a gift from God? Absolutely. Food is a wonderful gift from God. Amen? It even says so in the Bible. It ought to be received with thanksgiving. But when we go to the refrigerator to find relief from our boredom, or when we go to the refrigerator for comfort in our discouragement, comfort food, And isn't it true that we're taking a good gift from God and just kind of twisting it into something that it was never meant to be? Or think about sex and sexual desire. That too, a gift from God, right? Sexual desire is inherently good. Think about it, none of us would be here if it weren't for sexual desire. It's a good thing. It's not inherently evil. But when we stimulate that desire all out of proportion so that it becomes life-dominating lust. Or when we take that wonderful gift of sexual intimacy out of the context that God reserved it for, we twist God's gift. We misuse a gift from God. The same could be said of sleep, or approval, or pleasure, or money. All of them good gifts from a gracious Father. But when we look to the gifts to do for us what only the giver has promised that he can do, then we're taking his gifts and turning them into little gods, idols. And it grieves the heart of the giver. Or, when we try to satisfy those God-given appetites for food or sleep or sex or approval or pleasure in ways that are outside of God's plan for us, what we're really saying is, I know a better way, God. It's better than your way. So temptations can be occasions where God's good gifts get twisted and turned into evil. But James wants us to understand that's not God's intent. James wants us to understand who God is and what he is like and what is in God's heart towards us. And so what he's doing here, he's teaching theology. He's teaching us theology, and I hope you love it. And so what do we learn here about God? What is James teaching us about God here? Well, if he's teaching anything, he's teaching us that God is good. I mean, God defines good. He is good. What he does is good by definition. He's teaching us that God, the good God, gives good gifts. He's telling us that God is a father, a father to to all those whom he has given birth to. And he's not like some earthly fathers where you don't know from day to day what you're going to get from them. He says God is unchanging. He's not moody. He's not flaky. He's not flighty. I think it's cool that James uses an analogy from nature, and we're going to see this a lot in this letter, to describe God. He says God is the Father of the heavenly lights. What does that mean? He's the creator of the the sun and the moon and the stars, and he's he's likening God to the sun by saying, you know, God's gifts come streaming down into our lives like sunbeams. It's true, isn't it? You know, I've got a a prescription for you if you're ever in a whiny, complainy kind of mood or discouraged. Just start making a mental list list of the gifts that God has given you. Say, I don't have any. Do you have socks in your drawer? Do you have shoes in your closet? Do you have a comforter on your bed? Do you have a bed? Do you have warm water? Do you have a roof over your head? you have a house? Is your heart beating? Do your lungs work? Do you have any friends? Listen, God rains His gifts down into our lives. If we would just stop and think about it and say, Thank you, God. Thank you for all of your gifts. It all comes from you. I don't think we'd be doing much whining, do you? James says, God is like the sun streaming down his gifts to us like the rays from the sun. But he says, now God is unlike the sun in other ways because the heavenly lights cast shadows by their movements. And he says, God's not like that. Malachi 3.6, God speaking, he says, I am the Lord and I do not change. The unchangeable, immutable, not moody, not flaky God Listen, as we walk through James as a church, we're going to learn theology. The Lord's brother wants us to learn about the Lord. And if you want to avoid being deceived, especially in those difficult, trying seasons of life, then you must learn who God is. Who God is. If you want to not be controlled and dominated by those inner dark desires, then seek to know God and trust Him. If you want to be a person who's, strong enough to resist temptation, even the most alluring of temptations, then set your sights on knowing and loving and trusting the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change, pours down good gifts into our our lives and can be trusted. That's what James is saying. So many good gifts. You know a hot cup of coffee in the morning is a gift from God. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) the coffee we have out here, that uh, uh, caramel, butterscotch blend, I mean, that's a gift from God, I'm (laughs) telling you right now. (laughs) So good. But you know, James has one particular gift of God on his mind here. You see it in verse 18? This good God, what does it say, chose to give us birth, the new birth. Being born again. Yeah, being born again is God's special, wonderful gift whereby He infuses His life into the dead souls of guilty sinners and makes them alive to Him. Truly alive, spiritually alive, forgiven and cleansed of all their sins, having a new heart with new desires to love God and live a holy life. And I ask you today... Are you alive? I mean, I know you're alive. But are you alive? To God, does does his life beat within your breast? You know what I'm talking about? When God speaks, you hear, you hear his voice, you know him, I know that voice. That's my Lord talking to me. Pulsating through your veins the life of God. And I think it's obvious that James wants us to see us very stark contrast here remember back in verse 15 he said our evil desires conceive and give birth to sin and sin grows up and brings forth death but now here in verse 18 he says God too gives birth but not to sin and death God gives birth to people who are born again and have his very life in them you see the contrast sin leads to death God gives life And they become born of God. That makes me think of what John, the Apostle John, wrote in his book talking about Jesus. John one eleven. he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God sounds like what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And it sounds like what Jesus himself said one night to a very religious man named Nicodemus when he looked him in the eye and said, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. The old preacher years ago, Preach sermon after sermon after sermon with the same message, you must be born again, you must be born again, you must be born again. Finally, one elderly woman approached him after one of his sermons and says, Pastor, why do you always preach that same sermon, you must be born again? And he said, because you must be born again. That term has gotten co-opted and misused by many in our day, but we should reclaim it. God is good. He is so good that he gives people a new, second spiritual birth that infuses them with new life, his life. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. I don't know what you're chasing after in this life. Maybe you're trying to make millions of dollars. Maybe you're chasing after fame or respect You know what, if you chase after all those things and and even find them and are not born again, you will miss out on the kingdom of God. And friend, you do not want to miss out on the kingdom of God. Jesus looked at that religious man that night, Nicodemus, I guess the original Nick at night, (laughs) came to Jesus. Listen, he was more religious than any of you. He was more religious than me. I mean, in terms of observing the law and the sacrifices and knowing the Old Testament, he knew all that stuff and Jesus looked at him and and basically said, your religion is not enough. You must be born again. And Nicodemus said, am I supposed to crawl back into my mom and come out again? And Jesus said, You've already had a physical birth, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. You need a spiritual birth. You need the the life of God to be birthed in you, Nicodemus, or you're not going to see the kingdom. All your religious work is going to damn you to hell if you're not born again. And someone hears that might ask, well, why do we need a second birth? I mean, what was wrong with our first birth? Isn't that enough? Well, here's what happened. By our first birth, we received from our parents something that disqualifies us for life in the kingdom of God, namely a sinful, fleshly nature, right? That's bent away from God, bent towards sin and self. The kingdom of God is righteousness and life and peace, and by virtue of our first birth, we are de from the kingdom of God unless and until We are born again a second time. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I ask you, are you born again? Are you a born again person? Everyone needs to be born again. James reveals three things about this gift, this wonderful gift, this new birth. He doesn't elaborate a whole lot. He tells us its origin. It so says it's God's choice. He chose to give us birth. You say, don't we have a part in it? Yes, we have a part in receiving it, but that's not James' focus here. He wants us to realize that the new birth is God's doing. It flows from God's goodness. It's a gift from God to be appreciated and enjoyed and lived out. He tells us how it comes about, the means, through the word of truth. Pastor Steve, how can I be born again? Here's how you can be born again. You need to hear the message of the gospel. That's what the word of truth is, the gospel. The good news that Jesus, God's holy son, came from heaven to earth with the intent of living the perfect life that you could not live and you haven't lived it, by the way. Remember we talked about the commandments and all that? He lived that life. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved his neighbor as himself. He fulfilled the law for you, and then he died on a cross, bearing your sins and mine, your rebellion, your lust, your pride, your theft, your self-centeredness. He took it on himself. He became sin, the Bible says. Imagine that, holiness cloaked in sin. And then he was punished for your sins in your place. And then he rose from the grave. That's the good news. He's alive today and he's in heaven listening. Will there be another one who will call on my name that I can give my life to, who will believe that I came and lived and died for them and rose from the grave? When that truth gets personal to you and explodes in your heart and you realize that man hanging on that tree was paying for my sins, and you believe it, and it goes from here to here, drops in your heart, then you become a born-again Christian. And there have been people all this weekend who have become born-again. Praise God for that. As we sang earlier, Jesus paid it all. You can't earn enough money to buy salvation. (laughs) He paid it all with his precious blood. You have but to receive it and believe in his name as it says. He gives us the purpose of it purpose of the new birth that his people would be a kind of first fruits that's a strange term to our ears isn't it they lived in an agricultural society they grew crops they had gardens and fields and the first fruits was when they took the cream of the crop and brought it and offered it to God the first fruits it was basically a statement of devotion like we're devoted to you God we're giving this to you right off the top and it also was a signal that there was more to come And James is saying to those first century new believers in Jesus, the first generation to believe in Christ, he's saying, you're the first fruits, but there's more to come. Like some folks in the 21st century in New Life Church who will believe and be saved and be born again and be part of that devoted offering to God that, by the way, prefigures the full manifestation of the kingdom of God one day when everything in creation will be devoted to God and will glorify him like was the original intent back in the garden. Amen? Yeah. Wow, this is good stuff. I could keep going, but let me recap what we've learned from James today. First, everybody experiences temptation, everyone. You're not going to get through this life without being tempted. Some of you were tempted this morning already. Some of you were tempted this past week second god is never the source we must not be blamed for our temptation third it's our own desires that ensnare us right it's our own desires that lead us into sin we learn that temptation deceives it promises us great pleasures if we will just give in but there's a hook in that worm there's deception there it's a lie we learned that God's gifts are all good, but they can be twisted. They can be misused, but that doesn't change the fact that God himself is good, unchangingly good. And we learned about God's greatest gift, the new birth. that changes our very nature and gives us new desires to live our lives wholly devoted to him. Maybe you walk through this this morning with me and you're thinking, well, is is there a strategy to be found here? Is there a pathway for those of us who want to overcome temptation? And I think there is. I'll just mention it briefly and, and ask you to ponder it more as you go through your week. Number one, we see this clearly, accept responsibility, right? Stop blaming other people for your choices. Take responsibility. Second, abort the sin process. It's very interesting the language James uses. He says, desire conceives and gives birth to sin. So here's a kind of abortion that's good. There's another abortion that's evil. It's a horrible holocaust in our country. Because life, as we've said, is a gift from God. But now here, James is saying, you need to abort sin. You need to cut off evil desire before it turns into sin you know the great puritan pastor and theologian john owen said this kill sin or it will kill you sin is a monster sin is a monster abort the sin process third appreciate god and his good gifts oh yeah you know you you won't defeat sin by getting up in the morning and saying gritting your teeth and saying, I'm not going to sin today. I'm not going to sin today. I'm not going to sin today. It won't work. It won't work. The people I know who live in victory over sin, it kind of works like this. I'm so enamored by God that I'm not even thinking about this stuff. Isn't that true? You have a greater love. Why would I trade in Outback Steak for dry Wendy Burgers? I mean, that's... That's kind of the way it is when, 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 when you're entranced with God and his pleasures and his delights. You're, you're just into God and it's like, man, I'm not even thinking about that other stuff. God is good. His gifts are good. Enjoy the gifts that he's given to you. Enjoy them. Just don't turn them into idols. And then fourth, act on your new birth. I was taught this. Feed the spirit, starve the flesh. I have a new nature in me through this new birth, and I can feed it. Good and godly things. Feed the spirit, starve the flesh, strangle the flesh. Make choices that fit with your new nature. Live in the reality of your new identity as a child of God, like we sang about earlier. Wasn't that a great song, that new song? Live out of that. I am. I'm not a slave to fear anymore or a slave to sin. I'm a child of God through my new birth. Will you pray with me? That's a sermon on temptation. It's kind of heavy. I know that all weekend I've been asking some questions of, of our people, and I want to ask you as well. I want you to get honest. I want to ask you this question. Is this you today? Steve, the truth about me is I've given in to temptation recently. But I'm aware of my guilt and I, I want to be cleansed and forgiven by Christ. Would you raise your hand? I've given in to temptation recently. Listen, you can put your hands down. 1 John 1.9 is a verse I run to a lot. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you just confess your sin to the Lord right there in your seat? Own it. Don't rationalize it, justify it, blame shift. Just say, it's in me and I did, I did it. Claim the blood of Jesus Christ as the only cleansing agent that can wipe your soul clean and your conscience clean. Some of you have been tempted to blame God for what you're going through? Anybody raise their hand and say, yeah, I've been kind of soured on God. I've been mad at God. I, yeah. I'm going to ask you today to go to him in confession as well because you know what? God is good and he's never wronged anybody. Ever. Yeah, life is hard, but God is good. Ask him to forgive you and open your eyes to what he might be doing, his purposes, and what you're going through and then this I wonder how many of you would say I'm not sure that I've been born again I'm just not sure I mean the way you described it Steve I, I don't know that I've been born again but I want to be I need to be I want to be born again would you just look up at me if that's your, if that's your situation children yes awesome adults teens yep thank you others yep yes yes others on this side over here. I want to be born again. Listen, if that's you, would you just would you just talk to Jesus right now cuz he is alive and he's listening and and you could say something to him like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're real. I believe you're alive. And I know I've sinned. I accept responsibility for my sins. I owe you an unpayable debt. But today I'm declaring, I believe that you paid it for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Tell him that. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And thank you for rising from the grave. Please give me new birth. Say that to him. Please give me new birth. I want to live for your glory. If you pray that, look back up at me, would you? Yeah, amen. Others? Yeah, praise God. Others? Yes, yes, many. Thank God for that. Last one. How many of you would say, Steve, I want to live for the glory of God. I want to live a holy life that makes Jesus look awesome. Would you raise your hands? all around this room. Lord God, you see these hands that reflect the desire of your people to live lives that are in accordance with the gospel. God, you've called us to live distinct, holy lives in this world that's so dark and so dirty. Lord, forgive us where we failed you through the blood of Christ. Cleanse us, strengthen us anew today. Lord, may the effect of this sermon be in our hearts that we have a renewed resolve to hate sin. And love you above all. Thank you, Lord, for so much desire and passion in this room that is holy passion, ignited by your spirit through your word. May we live this out each and every day by your grace. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This was the third installment in our ongoing series, James. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's Word and seek to know Him better through the Gospel. Thank you for listening.